Mac Power Users, episode 381, Worldwide Developer Conference 2017. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie Floyd? I'm well, David. And you are in San Jose as we record this. Oh, yeah. It's crazy here. I'm having a great time, but I'm running around a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's weird because I'm doing I have two things. You know, I have the lawyer thing and the Max Berkey thing. So this week it's uh, they have crashed into each other. But I'm having a great time here in San Jose, California, where I was able to watch the keynote with a bunch of friends and attend several gatherings and talk to a lot of developers as we've kind of digested what happened on Monday. And I have a lot to share. Well, and we're going to talk a lot about the announcements, but you know, by the by the time that this show comes out, everybody knows what was announced and a lot of information has come out. So I'm hoping we can add a little more color to to the announcements rather than just, you know, tell you what Apple announced. Uh, but before we do that, since we have the advantage of you having boots on the ground, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and, and kind of what's going on in San Jose this week. Sure. We have kind of a, a relay commune here. I, I've been sleeping in bunk beds, which oh is kind of unique. I haven't done that in a really long time, but you know, I'm sitting here with Stephen Hackett and, and Dan Morin and David Smith under, underscore as known by the internet. So a group of us are staying at this place. We've got a great little podcast studio set up. So whenever someone needs a podcast, uh, unlike last year, I'm not sitting in a room with cardboard walls with very strange things going on to the room next to me while I try to talk about Mac power users. Okay. Uh, I've, got, I've got a nice studio, so that's an improvement. Um, so you guys are like in an Airbnb type thing? Yeah, yeah, it's really great. And um, and Mike and Federico and some of the others have rooms at the big fancy hotel. So uh, we've got kind of a gathering place there when we need it. So I guess just to kind of go to wind back, we've all spent a lot of time together. Uh, I got here on Sunday and we all had dinner and have been talking and we were getting each other excited and nervous about what was going to be announced on Monday. Uh, some of us were at the keynote. I was not. A, a big group of us were not at the keynote. So we all watched the keynote together. And the as well as the State of the Union, which is the second big presentation Apple frequently gives. In fact, if you're interested in this stuff, I recommend it's online. I think with a free developer account, you can watch it. The State of the Union is kind of like the nerdier version of the keynote where they kind of get into some of the nitty gritty code and, and how they're making some of the stuff happen. And you get a little more information, frankly. Um, I've been to multiple parties, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of gatherings of people and, and for Mac power users, that's really helpful because I can talk to a lot of developers about how this helps them and hurts them. Uh, I always, my standing joke is, so do you have a list of homework or did you get like candy today? Cause uh, for a lot of developers after WWDC, they have to go spend months just making their apps work with the new operating systems, you know, <laughs> because the Apple changes things and maybe the app that works on iOS 10 doesn't work on iOS 11. So you've got to put effort into making it work on the new operating system. In general, I've been hearing that it's mainly candy that they got new features for their apps and they don't have to go rebuild a whole lot of stuff. So everybody's pretty happy about that. Um, I also attended the uh, John Gruber talk show live uh, taping that they do every year. And I really like that because um, uh, Craig Federighi and Phil Schiller are there from Apple and it's a, it's a different audience. It's a little smaller room. So they're a little more open. And in particular, Craig Federighi, who's the head of software, 
um, is very upfront about a lot of the stuff he's been doing and what they've been doing to make things work. And it gives you a lot of information. I just wrote a post about that over at Max Sparky. It's just remarkable to me. And we'll talk about that as we go through the show. Um, today, I got to watch Sal Sagoyan, our, our recent guest, give a presentation on how he can script um, the Omni applications, both on iOS and Mac, which was pretty impressive, frankly. So he's got a whole bunch of stuff going. He's got that Command D conference coming up. And uh, tonight I'm going to the App Camp for Girls Party. And in between all that stuff, I'm running a law practice. So it's it's a busy week. Yeah, it sounds like it. So how long are you in town? Uh, I'm here until Friday. Uh, frankly, I probably don't need to be here that long, but that's my return flight. And I found a nice quiet place to work on the day job when I need to get work done. So I'm good. Awesome. Well, it's it sounds like a, you're you're getting some work done. Um, you're attending some of the conferences now. Are you going to alt alt conference all or uh, layers or seeing, doing any of that stuff? I, I'm going to alt conf when there's a session I want to see, like some of the new features and how it's going to be implemented. I'm I'm particularly interested in the iPad and how this stuff all fits together. Um, we got a lot of news. We'll talk about it. So I've talked to a lot of developers about how they can use the new iPad features and and what it means for productivity. That's kind of my angle to all this. So I've been covering that. Um, and and honestly, the best information I'm getting, uh, you know, because you and I've been at this racket a while. We know a lot of people that make big apps. So I, just sitting down and having coffee with people like that, I'm getting a lot of great information. Although, of course, I would drink tea. <laughs> Probably. Right. I found the best place for tea, which is really good. That's important. And where is that in San Jose for people who want to know? Uh, social policy. Well, I mean, it's the best place around here for tea. There may be a better one. But there's a nice place called social policy that I like has good tea. Jasmine is recommended, not Earl Grey. Yeah. Good to know. All right. So what is uh, my, my before we get into the answers, my, my other feeling is what is the general vibe there now? It's been a couple of days. We're recording this on Wednesday. We'll probably release it later in the week or early in the weekend. Um, how, how are people feeling now? There was a ton of hype leading up to this WWDC. People had real great expectations. I would say some t- degree, as always, unrealistic expectations. But it, at least the sense that I get is that Apple delivered on many of these. But how are people feeling now that the keynote is over when you're in the epicenter of it all there? You know, I've been coming to WWDC for several years now. And like like last year, I felt like the crowd was a little bit surly. You know, everybody was just a little frustrated. And this year, everybody was a lot more optimistic when I got here. And it just seems like a general feeling that that Apple has returned its focus to the things that are important to the stuff we talk about. Now, that's the general feeling. I have to admit, the night before, I was I was refusing to like buy into the hype, if that makes sense. I guess it's like uh, someone who loves Star Wars and watched the prequels. You know, it's like, all right, I, I do not want to get too excited about this and get super disappointed uh, when they make the announcements. So I, I actually kind of refused to... to to get too deep into it. I, I really wanted to see improvements for iPad and and they kind of punked us a little bit. If you watch the keynote, they go through iOS 11. They don't really say anything about the iPad and they move on. And it isn't until later that they come back to the iPad and iPad improvements. So I was getting even more nervous then. I don't know if you were following me on Twitter, but the, uh, so I, I was uh, not that, I wasn't as hype ridden about this, but a lot of people were. And I think people in general are pretty happy with the improvements that have been made. 
Yeah. I, I at one point was um, going to ask Stephen to like check on you and make sure that you were okay, because this was a keynote where we got a, a VR demo that included Star Wars and a, almost a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader, um, as well as a new iPad Pro and iOS features for iPad that you had been waiting for. And so I, I just can't imagine what it would have liked to be sitting in the room with you at that point. Yeah, well, it was it was really good. It was it was Christmas morning because I thought we were going to get those iPad features last year at WWDC, and then somebody who knows things told me, "Oh, it's coming soon." And you know, I've been so I felt like two or three times I had heard that this was coming, and finally we got it. So that was great news. That was great news. All right, and, and honestly, I mean, the iPad was the platform in most need of stuff like that, so it makes sense what happened. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about uh, before we we kind of get in and, and dive into the announcements themselves? Well, I, I have been running the beta for. Of, 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 course, yeah, of course. course, I, I, I mean, didn't even ask because I just assumed. I mean, we talked about that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, I was not going to, and then when they announced the iPad features, I I don't know how it happened, Katie, but I just happened to bring both iPads yeah, to San Jose just, with me. It just happened to get on your iPad. Now, are you running the beta on both of your iPads, your iPads, and your iPhone? What what are you running it on? Just on the big iPad. I'm, I'm not putting it on my phone. It's a bad idea. Uh, James Thompson, our friend uh, at PCALC, uh, did a tweet uh, that I think kind of went viral. He was saying, I should not put the beta on my phone. I know that's a bad idea. I really shouldn't put the beta on my phone. And then at the bottom, he has a picture of Groot, baby Groot from the new movie, um, with his finger over the button, over the big bomb. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and if you saw the movie, baby Groot did push the button. So <laughs> anyway, it was... Um, uh, so a lot of people have done that. I have not gone that far. I, I'll probably wait on the phone for a month or two until I hear reports that it's stable because I need my phone to make my living. But if I had, a, if you have an extra device, uh, there's nothing wrong, I think, with putting it on if you're in the developer program. If not, there's a public beta that will be out in a few weeks. And once again, I would I would emphasize extra device for early days. And I'll, I'll kind of pepper some comments about the beta as we go through some of these announcements. Yeah, I, I will, again, urge people, if you use your devices, whether that be your Mac, your iPad, or your iPhone, to get work done. And if you rely on these devices, these developer betas are not intended for you to run on your Kiri devices. Um, you're going to run into problems. Your apps are not going to be compatible. In fact, I, I think I was seeing um, our, our friend um, Greg from Agile Tortoise wrote that that he had already started getting inquiries and complaints from people that his um, software may not be 100% compatible with iOS 11. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? It, it It's not out yet. It, the, just the beta just dropped today. I mean, yeah. I was watching the State of the Union keynote, which is about an hour and a half after they finished the big public keynote at AltComp, and I was sitting next to a developer, and he was telling me he was getting emails complaining about his app not being compatible with iOS 11 during the State of the Union, less than two hours after they finished the original keynote. So just don't be that. I, our users aren't like that. I mean, our listeners aren't like that, but just don't be that person. Um, like, like I said earlier, if, if you want to play with the beta, I think it's fun to do it. I mean, if you're listening to this show, you're interested in this stuff, but try to do it on an extra device. I would not do it on your daily driver. Like as an example, my big iPad Pro has got about half the battery life it does when I was not on the beta right now. I mean, I, I've been out working on it today for about four or four and a half hours and um, it's uh, it's already almost dead. So, you know, that 
that's because when you're in beta, they're reporting all sorts of stuff to Apple to see what works and what doesn't. And it just, it just creams the battery. Yeah. I'll tell you my plan. And as you know, I do not use my iPad nearly as much as you do. Uh, My plan is to install iOS 11 on my iPad depending on what the feedback is at some point when the public beta comes out, because the public betas tend to be a little more stable than the developer build. But I do not plan to install it on my iPhone because that is so important to my business um, and to me getting work done. Uh, And I probably am not going to install um, High Sierra on my Mac for for two reasons. One is I, I just don't, there are not hugely compelling reasons for me to install it on the Mac. And the other one is, I I think the move to AFS um, Plus or AFS, the new Apple file system, um, yeah, is is such a big move that you don't want to push that button until you know Apple's got it right. Yeah, we had some connections calling, uh, some problems with the connection before we got the um, the recording started today, and it was on my end. And I said, I bet Katie is over there thinking that I'm running the beta on my Mac. Yeah, are you? No. Okay. No, but I I bet you thought it. I, it crossed my mind. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about some of the announcements. I know uh, not everybody's heard all the announcements, but we're going to keep it short. We're not going to go real in real long depth on everything they got announced, but let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, so the first uh, thing that was announced was, are we going to go in chronological order? Is that what we decided? Yeah, yeah why not? Makes why sense. Not? Um, the first thing that was announced was the Apple TV. And this was almost a non-announcement. It was in and it was out and it was done in just a few minutes. But really, the only thing that was announced here um, is that Amazon Prime is coming later. And I personally think that the only reason that this even mentioned and got you know warranted a mention in the keynote um, was probably contractual. Uh, yeah, that was probably part of the deal. It the re, the reason I mean this was such a jam packed keynote. I, I watched it twice and and picked up a lot more the second time that I watched it than I did the first time because they were really speeding through so many things. Uh, I I think they would have cut this. Had had they not needed to announce it for some reason? Yeah, it, it's, it's just, well, there's a couple things that were odd about it. First of all, uh, Tim Cook did not hand off the baton. Usually, for every he's kind of the master of ceremonies, and he hands things off to other people to talk about. If you're going to learn about you know software, you get Craig Federighi. If you're going to learn about something else, you get some other guy or some other person. Um, he didn't even do that. He says, "Okay, let's talk about Apple TV. We got Amazon Prime Video." Okay, now we're talking about Apple TV. <laughs> that was about the length of it. Um, yeah, the, one, one, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, the other thing that I think is interesting here is we got Amazon Prime Video. We basically, we didn't get a full Amazon Video interface. Um, we didn't get a full Amazon interface. We got Amazon Prime Video. And so this is really similar to the iPod, or excuse me, the iPad app, which is not a fully featured Amazon video store. You can't buy movies from Amazon. You can't buy TV shows from Amazon, arguably because they did, couldn't negotiate the cut. Uh, so I don't really understand why this particular app took so long to come to the App Store. All you're getting access to is to watch Amazon's free shows, shows that you already have saved to your library. Um, I mean, there's no buying that's going on in here. So it's really just a mirror of whatever, obviously different interface, but the app that has already existed on iOS for a while, what was the big deal with the negotiations? No idea. I mean, one of the things is Amazon would not carry the Apple TV on amazon.com as long as they didn't have their, their programming on the Apple TV. So that, that was a sales channel that Apple lost. And 
a lot of Amazon Prime customers wanted to watch their stuff on the TV without going through AirPlay. So that was something that that Amazon was missing out on. My my guess is that they're, you know, it's these are big companies, probably some big egos, and they had to work it out, and they eventually did. I, I think another point to take on the TV is they did make reference that you're going to hear more about TV later, and and they're doing a lot of work on content. I mean, during this week, among other things, Apple premiered its uh, app stories. I forget what they call it. The uh, they, they, so they have a reality show around apps that they've released, and that's happened this week as well. Apple's starting to make its own content, just like Amazon and all these other companies. They want to have exclusive content. They're starting to pay for it. Yeah, Pl- Planet of the Apps. I don't know how you could forget that. Such a such a great name. I'm not sure it's that great. I, that was sarcastic. Ranks ranks right up there with High Sierra, <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, um, the, I expect we're going to hear more about content at the fall event when they announce the new phones. That's a, kind of an entertainment thing. The other thing I would take away from that is this is a developer conference, and what we got from that is. You know, whereas in years past, we opened up the Apple TV to development. Nothing's really changed here. Uh, as far as developers are concerned, there's nothing to, there's nothing, no new good news or bad news or really no changes. Uh, the Apple TV continues to chug along. Uh, talking to my developer friends here, there are very few that have really done anything with the Apple TV. I don't think it's a, it's a hugely lucrative market for development. Um, and I will mention there actually is a TV OS beta that is out there. It, uh, people are saying it's fairly minor updates. Um, there actually will be a public beta of TV OS, which there historically hasn't been because it's a pain to install a beta on the Apple TV. It requires unplugging it and plugging in with a USB-C cable and, and all other kinds of things. Uh, but there will be a public beta of TV OS later. Um, one of the big updates that comes in the next TV OS beta is the ability um, to automatically switch between light and dark mode based on the time of day. That'll be nice, but I mean, okay. Yeah, but I mean, that's like a point update type thing. I mean, that's not a major update. Hey, let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor, and that's our friends over at MindNode. Uh, MindNode is the best mind mapping application, in my opinion, for the Mac and iOS. Uh, it's delightfully simple. And I really love it because as I'm taking notes and attending things, like even this this week, I just attended this Al Segoian session and I had my note open as he was up there talking and I was drawing off branches of things that are going on with this automation stuff he's programming and, and how I can use it and maybe even share it with some of our listeners. And the beautiful thing about it is it's easy to use. I was able to pull out my phone and add notes to it. Uh, very quick. Like one of the things I love about it is when you have a note open, if you just hit the carriage return three times, it opens a new note. So in terms of mind mapping, it takes all the friction out of capture and creating a, a beautiful mind map. And they're beautiful because the design is really well thought out. They've got templates you can choose from. Um, it, it is customizable, but at the same time without being too noisy. Uh, I also love it because it incorporates iCloud. So so well. I can, like I said, I worked on that my note on my phone. Now I can look at it on my iPad. I can look at it on my Mac. It's just there. And then when I'm done, I can also export that data. One of the, the big things I like to do with MindNode mind maps is when I write a book, I'll start everything there. I'll start the chapter lists and then the individual pieces I want to cover in the chapter. And it gets really detailed by the end. It looks like a big thing at the end, but I can move around and jump in it real easily. And 
because they all talk to each other. I can at any time pull it out of my pocket or get my iPad or my Mac and add a note here or change something or move something around. And then when I'm done, I can export it to OPML or a PDF or do whatever I want with the, the material to access it wherever I want. Um, uh, I remember when I first started hearing about mind mapping and all the software was super complex and super expensive. My note is just the opposite. It's not that expensive. It's easy to use, and it allows you to use your brain in ways you may not have before. Uh, uh, so it's a great application made by some great people. Uh, I'm really happy to have them as sponsors. I think you should support them, too, if you're at all interested in this stuff. Head over to mindnode.com and check it out, and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. So the next announcement that was up is watchOS. And again, this one got breezed through fairly quickly. Um, this, I again... Uh, it, it seemed like progress to me, but I, I feel like watchOS has kind of found its place. It, it's refining. Um, but I kind of wonder whether this is also an announcement that could have waited until a September event, um, because I didn't see a whole lot here for developers to talk about. It seemed like they almost wanted it to mention it um, to let us know that, yep, it, it's still a thing. I feel like Apple is a company of, of laser focus and there's the thing they're focusing on and the thing they're not like last year, apparently they weren't focusing on the iPad, but they were focused on the watch. So last year we got a major update to the Apple watch iOS. And in hindsight, that was the part that needed the most work at the time. The original watch OS just needed work. And I think most watch owners would agree that the IO, the watch OS three was a big update and everything's working pretty well now. And, and you're right. This year felt like refinements where they didn't have as much. Um, they just didn't have as much effort put into the watch this year because they didn't feel like that's where they needed it. Uh, a couple things that they did announce was some new faces. Um, the uh, I think the kaleidoscope face they announced looks horrible. Yep, agree. <laughs> I've seen it on a couple betas around town, and it looks for me at least. I don't know. It's just not me. I, I don't know what to say. It, I don't like it. Somebody may like it. It's even hard for me to read the time on the thing because it's a kaleidoscope. Um, I thought that the Pixar ones were awesome, but you, you know, there's like no information on them. It's just Buzz or Woody or Jesse. It has the time and it has Buzz Lightyear. What else do you need, Katie Floyd? I guess. The, and, well, and he does a little thing, a different thing, depending on, you know, when you raise your wrist, I guess. Yeah, he can climb onto the screen. It's actually super cute. So so don't go after those guys. I, my only disappointment with that is they didn't do more. I would have loved to have the inside out characters like Joy. I would love to have Joy on my watch. Every time I look at my watch, it'd be Joy. What What's wrong? You know, how how what's better than that? Um, so that that was cool. Um, but. Overall, they, they really didn't do a whole lot. The The fitness integration is interesting. I've been doing some CrossFit training recently where you move between the rower to the, to the, you know, to the weight training, to the, to the treadmill. And I never really knew how to do it with my Apple watch. I would just click other, or I would switch the workout between different types of workouts while I was doing it, which was a pain. Uh, I guess that's a problem for a lot of people because they come, they fix that with the new version. Um, I thought that was nice. Uh, they, the other thing they, they didn't do is they didn't announce sleep tracking, which is something I thought may be possible with the second generation Apple watch. It's the battery's pretty great. So I think they could probably get away with sleep tracking, but they didn't do that. Yeah. I, you know, the, the watch face that I thought had the most potential was maybe the Siri watch face. But then I also start wondering why aren't all of the other watch faces just 
automatically responsive. I mean, if I'm looking at a watch face and I have a complication, I, I regular keep the timer complication on my watch face, but I don't always have a timer running. Like why can't the timer complication pop up, but only when I have the timer or why can't the calendar complication pop up, but only when I have a calendar event, like in the next six hours, you know, why, why can't my complications just automatically be dynamic? I agree. I think there's work to be done there. And the Siri watch face is a, is a great idea if you didn't see it. So the idea is uh, Apple knows a lot about you. Or actually, let me rephrase that. Your devices know a lot about you. Apple doesn't actually get the information on their own servers. But your device knows things about you. And it, you know, talking to your phone can figure out you know when you should leave for a meeting or you know other types of things like that. Uh, so they're going to start pushing more of that to your watch through this Siri face. And at first it was confusing to me and I still am not sure I have the whole story, but it looks to me, it's a separate face uh, and it's not a complication. It's necess- it's just a, a Siri based face, which limits your options. It's, it's a great idea, but I think limiting it to one face is a mistake. I thought the, obviously the, the interest on fitness and the refinement on fitness clearly shows the direction that, that Apple is going. Um, I think they need to be careful with their notifications. I, I like the idea of, you know, being able to know, okay, gosh, I'm really close to closing my rings. I only need eight more minutes of something. And, and be, because those are things that I would be interested in, but Apple needs to be very careful to walk that fine line between being useful and being annoying. Because if they start bordering into being annoying with all of these notifications, I think they could have the opposite effect and they get turned off. It, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And the other thing they announced was a, a new fancy animation when you close your rings, which did nothing for me. Everybody else in the room was excited by that. But for me, I was like, okay, a new animation. Great. You know, that, that didn't really do much for me. Yeah. And there's integration coming with gym equipment, which is nice, but I want to, you know, just let's be realistic with this. This, this is years off because gyms don't replace their equipment every year. Yeah, but haven't you seen all those flyovers at the new Apple campus? I bet all the equipment in that fancy uh, workout facility on the Apple campus talks to your watch. Yeah, that that probably does. But I mean, since I've been a, I've been a member of my gym probably for ten or fifteen years, and I think they've done at their various facilities maybe one remodel of each in that time. And when we've gotten new equipment, um, I mean, so gyms are not. I mean, they're replacing equipment as it breaks, but they're not doing total remodels and putting all new equipment in there every maybe five years or so, five or seven years. One of the things I've noticed around here is, you know, WWDC is a place where there are a lot of Apple watches and just general, the Bay area and frankly, California, there's a lot of people wearing Apple watches, but I've been to a lot of lunches and parties and whatnot. And I have noticed there are not nearly as many phones coming out because of the Apple watch, you know, uh, I sat down and had lunch with a, a big group of people today. And at one point I looked around the table, there were no phones on the table. And occasionally somebody would look at their watch and dismiss something or step up and walk away. But I do think the Apple watch makes it easier to be social and not get hooked into your phone. Yeah. And honestly, that's always been my favorite feature about the Apple Watch. And I suspect that more is coming. I, I think we're going to get new Apple Watch hardware in the fall. And, you know, just like WWDC before, we're going to see more features of iOS, I'm sorry, Watch OS 4 when we get more watch hardware. There's, I suspect there's more to Watch OS 4 that they haven't showed us yet that they can't show us either because it's related to the hardware or, you know, tipping too much would tip hardware. I could also see them just taking a year off with the watch hardware. Well, I I hope not because I'm ready to upgrade. 
Because remember, I I skipped the series too. Yeah, no, I understand. I I largely got one because my daughter really wanted an Apple Watch, so you know, I got the fancy one and gave her my old one, just like it always happens in our house. But the um. Uh, but, but I could see Apple not wanting to be on the yearly upgrade treadmill with a watch. So we'll see. I mean, someone asked me if I would want a, a cellular connection in my watch, and I'm not all that hell-bent on it, to tell you the truth, but I know a lot of people would like it, like if you jog and you, you want it for safety or something, but I'm, I'm not really all that in a hurry, so maybe I'm just not that excited about a new update to the watch. Let's talk about uh, Mac OS. Um, yes. Hi, Sierra. <laughs> okay. So it was a really funny moment when he, uh, Craig announced the name is Hi, Sierra. I, I didn't think it was funny. Well, let me just uh, it was funny in the room I was in. And because he says it's, the name is Hi, Sierra. And then he says, I asked the marketing team and they assured me it's fully baked, you know. So there's like this this tradition of him making pot jokes about as they name these these operating systems. And, and then he started talking about the features of the system. And as we were all sitting around, we're all like, wait, wait, okay. So the joke's over. What's the actual name of the operating system? I mean, everybody in the room was waiting for him to say, it's actually, you know, Fresno or some other name. Uh, but no, it, it was high here. And it literally took us like three or four minutes to accept that they were done talking about the name and the name is actually high Sierra. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think you can make the, uh, the drug jokes about the name being high Sierra and then actually call it high Sierra. That, that just seems a little inappropriate. Well, I think it was just, I think it was just face at some point they said, look, people are going to make them. So we might as well just acknowledge it from the beginning and try and make it a non-issue or name it something else. Yeah. I could think of, I'm from California and I could think of some great names that are not, uh, that don't have that connotation. Um, last night I was at the talk show where Federighi and Phil Schiller were there and they, they actually kind of asked him about it. And Federighi basically looked over at Phil Schiller, who was in marketing and, and, you know, he says, look, we think it's a great name and hopefully you can get over, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, you think that you relate it to being high and if you can't, then tough luck, you know? So <laughs> he was pretty dismissive of it, but it is a silly name. And, but at the same time, I'm not that hung up on it either. The funny thing is I don't even think about those names anymore on these operating systems. To me, it's just Mac OS. Yeah. What, what, what bothers me about it more so than anything is I think it's going to be hard to distinguish to non-tech people or non-Mac power user people that there is a distinction. It's getting harder to distinguish these like, okay, well, do you have lion or mountain lion? Do you have leopard or snow leopard? Um, Do you have um, Sierra or high Sierra? Uh, And it's like, well, I, I don't know. What is what is the difference? You know. Well, and just for a minute, the reason they picked a name that's a derivative of last year's is this is... Oh, I know why they did it. But I mean, I'm not sure everybody listening does. It's it's a TikTok, you know, it's where they say, we're going to add a bunch of features one year and the next year we're going to spend a lot of time polishing. And that that's what they're explaining it. Um, I don't know. The other thing that bothers me is how close it is to the trigger phrase for Siri. And... Um, it just seems weird to me that you would name the operating system after something that's so close to triggering your your digital assistant. I don't know. Um, I and I think it's. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I welcome a. I, can I just call it Snow Sierra? Does that work? Go for it. Okay. Go for it. I, I welcome a Snow Leopard style release to the operating system. Um, because although I didn't think Sierra was necessarily that compelling a release of of Mac OS from a feature standpoint, because Siri on the Mac has 
done nothing for me. I, I trigger it only accidentally. I, I don't know that I've ever intentionally triggered Siri in the last couple of months. But, um, you know, I, I just anyway, um, I think other than AFS, which don't get me wrong, is tremendous. Uh, very few features of the OS was uh, were announced. And, and I'm not sure whether that's uh, because they weren't there or because this was just such a time crunched keynote. And we'll get more information on that, you know, as the betas are out and as things roll out. I heard from an Apple guy that the director's cut of this keynote was three and a half hours. Okay, that could be. That when they first started it, it was like close to four hours and they had to take so much out to, to try and get it within two and a half hours. Yeah. And, and actually, now that I think about it, Phil Schiller confirmed that last night at the talk show. He said that they, they took a lot out. Well, I, I mean, I personally would have rather them completely cut Apple TV and Mac OS. I'm sorry, watch OS and spent more time on other things. Um, I am very happy with the Safari improvements. I think that's right in line with Apple's privacy stance and welcome. Uh, but I also think that by basing this primarily on tracking, that they nicely walked that line of protecting privacy without getting into a debate about ads. If you didn't see it, you know how sometimes you go on a website. I just did this lately. I've been getting really into playing my sax again. And I bought some some reeds, you know, the little piece of wood you strap to your mouthpiece. And I bought some reeds online. And for the last month, everywhere I go, I'm getting ads for reeds. You know, somehow that's got tracked across all these websites. They've taken that out. So it doesn't track you. It's it's very clever what they did. And, and hopefully it'll stick and, you know, the ad people won't figure a way around it. Um, the other thing they did was, you know, the auto play audio where you go on a website and suddenly audio just starts playing without you knowing it or video. Hello, Macworld. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they found a way to kill that as well, which is great. In fact, um, Federighi was saying last night that, uh, when they were, um, when they were in a meeting talking about this feature, somebody in the meeting went to a website that started playing audio. So they knew the guy wasn't listening to the meeting because the audio started playing. So uh, they really need the feature. And it's, that's a nice feature of Safari. Another big thing about Safari is speed. Um, they put some charts on the table and they said, look, you know, Safari is really fast. And, you know, it seems like there's this kind of common misconception about Safari that it's somehow inferior or slow. I think it's, it's pretty damn fast. And, um, I like it. I think if you're using Apple hardware and software, you should just stick with Apple's default uh, browser. Unless you're a big user of Google services, then you should use Chrome. Uh, but I, I think they, they wanted to give a moment for Safari. Another feature they talked about is, um, and I believe actually this may bleed over to iOS, but where apps can now get access to passwords out of the, the Safari password database, which is kind of clever. Okay, so we got Safari improvements, but but we skipped over the Apple file system, and uh, and that is a big deal. Um, we talked about it a little bit last year, Apple's uh, WWDC show. Uh, Apple Forever has been using a file system. I think it's 25 years old that they've been using HFS Plus or something like that. And it is uh, it's it is a 25 year old file system, and it, there's problems with it. It um, it's not as secure, it's not as fast. Uh, given the fact that all those are using SSDs, uh, there is a better way to manage your files. And they announced that they had done this last year, and everybody was very happy about it. And at the time, we all thought it was going to take years to implement it because changing the file system is not um, a trivial thing. It's it's changing. Well, apparently, it is on iOS. 
Well, I'm going to tell you about that in a second. It's changing how the ones and zeros are written to all of your devices. And when you change the system over, if something goes wrong, you lose your entire system. So that's scary, right? Um, uh, in ten, but in ten point three, which you, if you've got an iPhone or iPad, you may not know it, but you already have the Apple file system because with the ten point three update, which took a long time, if you did it, it's because the system was rewriting the file system underneath. And last night, Gruber asked uh, Federighi, "I mean, you guys must have been pretty scared the day you pushed the button on sending it out to Apple's most profitable product on everything." Um. And he said, you know what? We had already done it millions of times. They had scripted this with prior updates where it would send it out. And I, I think it was to Apple employee phones. It wasn't really clear how they had done it, but they had done something like millions of practice runs on this and wouldn't you know, ship until they had everything like dialed down. And it worked. I mean, it worked fine uh, getting this Apple file system across all these devices. And now they've announced that they're going to put it on the Mac as well as you update the High Sierra. Now, this is this is not to be understated. And the fact that they did it so smoothly with iOS is a huge testament. The fact that most people did not know that their phones were being updated to and iPads were being updated to a new file system was tremendous. And now we're going to see it again on a Mac. And it sounds like Apple understands the gravity of this. They understand that this is something that they cannot mess up. Um, and so I, I think they'll do a good job with it. I still would encourage you, this is probably a reason not to run the betas. Um, if you are, I think it's even more of a reason to have a, a even better than normal backup strategy. But the problem is, is I my understanding, and, and I'm sure we'll have people write in and correct me, is that it is not necessarily just a matter of, of re, you know, it's going to be hard to go back um, to from once you go to AFS to get back to before. Okay, so my advice on this is if you're thinking about the beta, get yourself an extra hard drive. They're cheap. Um, and and download. Do not make a clone and do not make a time machine backup, but instead uh, manually copy over all your major data files. Copy your, your photos library. Copy all your documents. Copy anything that's important to you just as folders themselves, you know, your files nested folders. folders to them. Yep. Um, if you want to be fancy about it, get yourself Chronosync and you can set it up as a script, but you, you can just drag them in and make sure you do all that stuff. And we're going to do a show about this stuff when they release all these operating systems in September. But I'm telling you right now, we're going to be telling you then to make copies before you do it, even when then we get to the final version. So if you don't have one, start saving your pennies now or, or start looking around for a hard drive you can use because... I think more than ever in the history of Mac power users, almost what nine years of us doing this, we want you to back up before this one, because it's a big deal. And as successful as it was on iOS, iOS is largely a closed system and they control a lot. The Mac is the wild West. I mean, it's been around forever. It's a computing platform. That's way more open than something like a mobile device. So I expect it's, it's a significantly harder job to do this APFS transition on Macs when there's a lot of different Macs out there and people have done a lot of different things to their Macs. And like, if you've customized your Mac and if you're running special scripts and things like that, I, I just don't know that it's always going to work hundred percent of the time. So we want to make sure you get all that copied before you make any change. Okay. That being said, 
once you get this APFS, it is awesome. Like they were doing things in the, I believe it was the State of the Union event where they had these multi gigabyte files and it is able to immediately make a copy of these huge files. It just, it's, I think they call it snapshot technology or whatever, but you just take a file, you drag it to another place as a copy and guess what? It's there. There's nothing else to do. It's, um, and the, it does a, um, it does file checking as it backs up and as it writes the files. So there's just no errors in the file saves. And I'm sure, you know, a year later we'll find errors somehow, but this is significantly better than the existing file system. It's not a small, the reason why they're going through all this is because it's, it's really bringing Mac OS to a place where it can expand further. I think one of the reasons why we don't have a whole lot of new features is because they want APFS to be rock solid. And then a year later, it's going to actually enable things like time machine could be completely rewritten once everybody's on APFS and faster, better, easier to use. I mean, all that stuff is going to be a benefit of the new file system. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on briefly, and I will make the full disclaimer that I don't know much about this, is virtual reality. Um, Apple definitely made a play towards AR and VR in this keynote. Uh, I am not a gamer. I am certainly intrigued by virtual reality because there is nothing more that I want in this world. Well, there are a few things, uh, but nothing more I want from an entertainment standpoint in this world than a holodeck. And I know that the closest that we're probably going to be able to get in my lifetime um, is some kind of VR or AR headset that, that I can put in on and, and explore worlds or other other simulations. But what um, what do we think about this? Do we think that that Apple is really serious about virtual reality? Um, do we think that the new hardware is really going to be able to run it? I mean, they made some impressive demos, but um, is VR really here and is it a thing for Mac gaming now? I want to talk about AR later on iOS because I think that's probably the better place to talk about AR. Um, but VR, they made a big deal about that on Mac. And the tools they were showing was how to create VR environments. So if you can create them there, you can certainly play them there. Um, you know, it's been, you know, it's been an it's been argued and discussed that Apple didn't have sufficient hardware to do uh, virtual reality. And I think this is Apple thumbing their nose and say, yes, we can, and here you go. Now, the idea of virtual reality, I think, is probably a terrible one, because if they ever make a realistic Star Wars where I could be Obi-Wan wandering the desert with my lightsaber and doing good, that would be the end of the Mac power users. In fact, that would just be the end of anything. They'd be like, whatever happened to that Mac Sparky guy? You yeah, know, he just, he, he he's just gone. lost everything. Yeah, he's just gone. He fell into he's on Star Tatooine. Wars. Yeah, uh, but the uh, but it, it is impressive, and I'm glad Apple is at the table with this stuff. And this was also a way to say, hey, our new Macs are pretty awesome. And this was not the iMac Pro that we'll talk about later. This was this the the regular iMac that you can buy. I mean, it's the souped up one, but it's not the the Pro hardware that they were doing all this on. Uh, related to the VR was the idea that Apple did a couple things. They um they have Metal Two, which is the the graphics engine that they have underneath um, both iOS and Mac. And that got a whole new version talking to, I talked to some of the, um, the Apple developers at some of the parties and they all say, uh, this is a significant improvement. And not only is it going to affect how fast games render, but just the whole snappiness of the operating system, because they've done it in such a way that they can take advantage of these high end graphics tools, just drawing windows and, you know, opening applications and bouncing icons and just the normal stuff 
Vita on your Mac. So you're going to see a graphics improvement with that. Another thing I could say just on the Mac that I thought was interesting was uh, they're recompressing your Apple Mail library. So it's 30% smaller. I mean, this is the kind of stuff you expect on a Snow Leopard or a High Sierra update where they say, hey, everybody, let's make things just a little better. Um, last night at the um, at the Gruber event, uh, Federici said one of the things we did with this release is every team came in and told us what was on their wish list that they always wanted to get to that they never had time for. You know, and so data compression, uh, using less space, making things faster. That's a big that's a big priority for Apple with this release. Well, I want to talk about the new hardware that was released. But before we do, I want to take a moment and thank Fracture, uh, who's been a longtime sponsor of the show. And we're pleased to welcome them back. So Fracture is a photo decor company that is out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. You know, we have this problem these days where we take a photo and we post it on Facebook, we send it up to Twitter, we put it on Instagram. And then a couple of hours or if we're lucky, a couple of days later, that photo is just gone. And maybe we'll see it again at some point when we open our photo library, but otherwise we never see these photos again. And what Fracture does is they print your photos digitally onto glass. They add a laser cut rigid backing uh, so they are ready to display right out of the box. In fact, they even include the wall anchor. So you just upload your digital photo, you pick your size and it is that simple. Um, They make the color contrast of your photo really pop and sleek and it's got a sleek frameless design that lets your photos stand out while still matching any decorating style. I have a bunch of these Fracture photos in my office and uh, people always stop and look at them and talk about them. Uh, They're great conversation pieces and everybody wants to know where I got them and I send them over to Fracture. So you can bring a special memory to life. We've got Father's Day coming up. You can give it as a great gift or you can decorate your home with all of the moments that tell your story. Um, So you can use Fracture like I did to brighten up your workspace. You can give it as a corporate gift or award. Uh, You can be sure to ask them about professional and bulk order discounts before you order. So all all of your fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you are sure to love them. Each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S.-sourced materials in their carbon-neutral factory. So for more information, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And that's the word, podcast. Uh, and when you do, you'll have a list of podcasts that you can pick from. Don't forget to select Mac Power Users in their one-question survey. It helps support our show. Again, that's FractureMe.com slash podcast. And thanks so much to Fracture uh, for brightening up my life uh, and for their support of Mac Power Users. Katie, we got some new Macs. I we did get some new Macs, and I all I can say is that it's about darn time. <laughs> okay, well, let's break it down. Starting with the desktops, um, the uh, the iMac got an update, and uh, it was a little overdue uh, for an update, so that was really great. Um, they have a lot of new specs for these. The uh, they've got the seven. They still have the um, was it the twenty one point five and the twenty seven inch. Uh, the body design looks basically the same, but the guts got a lot of updates. Kate, Katie Lake is now in them, so they're going to be a lot faster. Not not Katie Lake, Katie Lake. No, Katie Lake, Katie Floyd Lake. Oh, is that's it Katie Floyd Lake? It. Is that what it's called? Yeah, okay, all right, exactly. In I think that's the next revision. No. Yeah. Um, the uh, so I had I have not laid eyes on one yet. I think they may be in the stores. I'm not sure. Well, I I have because my brother just bought one and I got a phone call saying come set this up. Okay, so so what did you think? Uh, well, he he called me the night of the keynote because he'd been waiting for new IMAX to drop, and um, so he ended up getting. 
the 21.5 inch. He just thought the 27 was too big. So he got the top of the line, uh, 21.5 inch. Uh, the 4K display is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that's what everybody that's seen has told me that this display is bright. It's, it's noticeably brighter than the older ones. Yeah. Now, the one thing that I was a little upset with is I could not talk him into 16 uh, or 32 gigs of memory. He went with the stock 8 gigs. He didn't quite understand why that was important. And these, unfortunately, are not user upgradable after the fact. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was a little upset about that. But um, I actually would have rather him, to save money, drop down processor and then bump back up memory. But, you know, what? Some, sometimes you just don't listen to your sister. Yeah, I was told by an Apple person that the memory that they're using is quite fast now, and that it's it's that makes it a bit more expensive to upgrade. You know, it's it's not well. It was two hundred. It was two hundred bucks, but I, I still I still would have rather them upgrade it. But you know, what whatever. Um, and but he uses his he uses his sum for gaming. Uh, he he does Steam and and those types of things. But he uses it primarily for word processing and surfing. He's he's a teacher and, and those types of things. So he's he's pretty excited about it. It's it it looks the same. I mean, other than obviously when you turn it on, you you see the screen. But um, it it looks the same, and it's got the new I O on the back. It's got the Thunderbolt three. But what was really nice about this is they kept the le- legacy Thunderbolt ports because you know when. When I bought this new MacBook Pro, I had nothing that was USB-C. In fact, I still, other than what I specifically bought to go with the MacBook Pro, I still have no devices that are specifically USB-C or or Thunderbolt 3 or USB-C, either one. Yeah, so this new one has both the USB-C ports and the USB, I think they're called A, it's the original, you know, the asymmetrical rectangle, yeah. They just basically, everything basically got a bump up to the newer processors, um, so it's, it was a, it was a nice, nice upgrade. I think if you've gotten a, a 5k or a, a iMac, there's probably not a huge reason to upgrade. You've already got a great machine if you've got a, a 4k or a 5k iMac, but, um, if you don't, it's an, it's an, if you've been waiting, it's a nice upgrade. Yeah. And getting one, like you want to get a 27 inch spec'd out, it's not two grand. It's more like three or four grand. So like the one I have, was it 2015 that the retina came out or was it 2016? I think it was 2015. But um, I mean, it's it was uh, it wasn't fully specked out when I bought it, but it was it was significantly improved over the base, and I feel like this computer still has two or three years left in the tank. It's it's great, and uh, I feel no need to to upgrade it. Uh, but if you haven't got on board with the Retina iMacs and and you like iMac, you should go take a look at these. I think they're really fine machines. Now the. I guess not surprised because we knew it was coming based on Apple's press conference. Um, but the iMac Pro, uh, this this is an interesting machine. And I am honestly, after seeing the iMac Pro, I'm kind of surprised that Apple didn't just can the trash can MacBook or Mac Pro after all. And I realize that their new Mac Pro will not be a trash can. But I will be very surprised to see what the new Mac Pro looks like after seeing the iMac Pro. It seems very, very clear that the iMac Pro was Apple's intention for the Pro line. And then something changed and they decided they needed a more traditional Pro computer after all. But I... I think the iMac Pro will solve a lot of people's needs. Let's talk just a little bit about that, then go talk about the details of it. The The consensus around San Jose talking to folks is that that you're right, that this the iMac Pro was going to be their Pro line, and they weren't going to make any other type of Mac Pro. And at some point, they decided, no, we need a Mac Pro. Um, 
So, so that, and that's not coming until next year or later. That's, that's quite a while off. Uh, but, but the iMac Pro is an interesting computer. It starts at $5,000. So this is not a, a cheap investment. It's, it looks like a traditional iMac. It is the exact same dimensions as an iMac, which is, I'm a little surprised by because I'm a little concerned by it. Yeah. When you look at the horsepower in this thing, uh, there's going to be a lot of heat in that. And they, they spent a lot of time talking about because it's a, it's a supercharged iMac. It's got the best processors. I mean, you can get up to, I think, 18 different processors running in this thing. They redesigned the whole thermal system. Well, it's, it's 18 different cores, not separate yeah. processors. Well, in essence, um, they run... Okay, you're right. 18 core. You can get an 18 core processor in this. Uh, they redesigned the thermal system to try and keep all of that cool. I have not been around one. Um, uh, Jason was told he's not allowed to touch it, but he saw it. <laughs> and, uh, That's because it will burn you. And John Syracuse said that there was, he felt like they had it running at full tilt just so you could see how much noise it would make and everything. And he said he felt like if you put a Hershey bar at the bottom, it would melt it. <laughs> you know, so it can, I think it's going to be a computer that's going to have a lot of power, but if you use it um, to extremes, it's going to be quite warm. And so that, that's something to consider. And maybe that's why there's still room for a Mac Pro. They decided, uh, uh, you know, maybe we want people that want even more power and, and, and have, the ability to have a, a relatively quiet machine. When you've got a big tower, there's a lot of room for ventilation and you don't necessarily have to run fans as hard as you do in the enclosed space of the iMac. So it feels to me like this is the next step up, but there's going to be even a step beyond that. And as an iMac Pro, these are amazing computers. I mean, these are really powerful computers. I can see a lot of people thinking this is just fine uh, for what they do. I think video production people, software developers, there's going to be a lot of people that want this this iMac Pro. Now, we don't have any information on pricing other than it starts at 5000 And so I think you can imagine that for the higher-end configurations, it could easily be double that. And so I think I I would have a hard – this is not a computer that I would buy. If I were going to buy this, I would buy, I would buy an iMac. And I've considered buying an iMac before. But um, – I, I think I would have a hard time if I were someone who needed this much power justifying a mid to high end, justifying putting even 5000 or significantly more than $5,000 into a computer that is not upgradable, um, into an all-in-one that even if you buy AppleCare, you got three years and then you're done. Um, because this is, you know, I think number one, you could run into the thermal corner problem because Apple said they designed themselves into a thermal corner with the, uh, the trash can Mac pro. And number two, you have a completely enclosed non-upgradable design. Uh, and that is the fundamental flaw of this machine. You're not going to be swapping out Ram. You're not going to be swapping out graphics card. Um, it is what it is. And hopefully it's cooled well enough that it will survive long term. But, I, you know, these these products that are, you know, run very hot and run at the edge of what they can, they don't necessarily have the longest life. Maybe you'll get three years out of it. Maybe you won't. Uh, but, you know, John Syracuse is still running, I think, his Mac Pro from the 80s. I, I say that somewhat sarcastically. I, I don't think this is a computer that can last that long. And I'm just not sure I would justify putting five to $7,500 or even more in this computer based at looking what the price point is on a more modular Mac Pro? Uh, I wouldn't call it a fundamental flaw. I, I think that there is a market of people for this computer will be exactly what they need. They're going to need more power than the iMac. And if you think the iMac Pro is expensive, wait until you see how much it costs to buy the Mac Pro. 
And and there's going to be a group of people for which this is going to be fine, where if the fans run and make a little noise, it's not going to be an issue because they're not recording podcasts or whatever. Um, so I think this computer is going to be exactly what they meant it to be. Um, I'm curious to see when it comes out and, and, and see how they price it up. Cause I think Katie's right. I think it's going to go up to maybe 10 grand, maybe more, who knows when you get 18 cores and you load it up with SSD and all that. But, but I mean, even the existing one, I had a, a reader, uh, write me his build for a, um, he's buying a brand new 27 inch one. And I think he had two terabytes of SSD storage and, and he upped the Ram quite a bit and he was like $4,500 on his build. And he says, is that right? And I'm like, yeah, that's about what it costs when you start adding all the bells and whistles. So, uh, but I, I think I wouldn't categorize this. It hasn't been released yet. I don't think it's a flawed computer. I think it's just, it is what it is. It's an iMac that has a lot more power than the normal I- iMac. But but maybe that's why, Katie, they are making a Mac Pro is they looked at the same things and said, OK, we need even another step after this. The we're, we're going long already, and I know we have a lot to talk about with iOS. So the other things that we do want to mention is there were upgrades to the portables. The um, Mac Pro got an update. It was primarily speed bumps. And, and the stats are saying that it's about 20 percent faster. They got the new KB Lake or Katie Lake, if that's what we're calling them, processors. Um, Katie Lake. Katie Lake. There we go. Um, and then the MacBook Air got an update. Uh, not a significant one, but I think part of that was just, it didn't even get the new tag on the website, which was which was kind of sad. But I think it basically got a processor update just probably because they were having trouble getting the older processor. Well, the, uh, the, the news on that is the update they made is barely relevant. I mean, it, it is just the barest of touches. And, and the, um, the consensus around San Jose is that it's a Broadwell-based computer. And if they wanted to bring it up to a, a more modern processor, they would have had to redesign the motherboard. And I don't think they're willing to do that with the MacBook Air. So it got a slight upgrade, but it's, it's almost an upgrade in name alone. So our next sponsor is our friends over at the Omni Group. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to talk about the Omni Group this week because they're on everybody's mind here at WWDC. Uh, as we had announced with Sal Segoyan when he guested on the show, the Omni Group is getting really serious about automation and bringing their own automation tools to the Mac and the iPad. And they've got this new thing, this Omni JavaScript that they're doing. The reason that we're recording, one of the reasons we're recording today is I wanted to see that session before we did the show. And it's really remarkable what they're doing. These are very simple programming techniques that you can use to fully automate the software. It works both on the Mac and on the iOS devices. It's, it's kind of awesome, frankly. And I love seeing uh, friends like this make really great things for our devices. So currently it's running in beta and you can go to omni-automation.com and that's where you can see the, the stuff Sal Segoin is, is, is built to run this. And it's in, I guess you would say beta, but they've already got it working with the public releases of their software. Uh, it currently works with the Omni Outliner and it works with Omni Graffle. But just to give you an idea of how far you can go with this stuff, uh, Sal has got a presentation he built in Omni Graffle. You know, he built the slides as images in Omni Graffle and he's got an outline he made in Omni Outliner. Well, he was using this new scripting language that they've come up with where he could change on the fly anything in either app. So he could go to his outline in Omni Outliner, change a bullet point, and then it would automatically redraw the page in OmniGraffle, the separate application. And this works not only on the Mac, but also on iPad, which is just crazy. So these applications are talking to each other. Another thing you could do is take data off the internet. And it was data concerning each state of the United States. And it would automatically create a heat map 
of that data on a map of the United States and OmniGraphle. And he was doing that from the web because this new scripting language will work from the web too. And now this is a lot of uh, geeky stuff I'm talking about, but my point is this is the way the Omni group rolls. These guys are working so hard to bring us the best technology for productivity software. Um, When they think Apple's going too slow, they build it themselves and they have a history of doing this. You see their sync service is another example. And uh, if you need to get product productivity work done either on your mac or your ipad or your iphone look no further to the omni group you know go to omnigroup.com and take a look what they have they have a great task manager in OmniFocus. you can do graphics in omni graphle you can do outlining in omni outliner you can plan projects in omni plan whatever it is you need they've got a software for you there and you won't go wrong buying their software because these guys care so much. They work so hard. Um, I really love having them as a sponsor and I really love using their product. So go to omnigroup.com, check it out and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac power users. So lots to talk about with, with iOS. I think let's focus on the more generic stuff first and then kind of get into some iPad and iPad, uh, iPad specific features a little bit later. Um, one of the disappointments for me talking about iOS is that although, you know, we expected this to be a very Siri-heavy keynote. We expected Siri to be a big feature of the keynote. We expected developers to get a lot more access to Siri in the keynote. Um, and that really was not the case. Siri was certainly mentioned. Um, Siri got some improvements. Siri got a new voice. But Apple still seems to have, I guess I'll call it maybe a lack of confidence in Siri. Yeah, that's, I want to get back to Apple's thoughts about Siri at at the end, but just in terms of the news, they did not add many Siri integrations. And that's something that I would have expected that we would have seen today. I was really hoping that we would get the integrations for audio services. You know, I would, I would very much like to see um, Siri be able to choose a podcast in my favorite podcast app or. Which is not the podcast app. Exactly. Um, I would like. I'd like to see it work with Overcast. In fact, I watched the keynote with uh, Mark Oramint, the guy who developed Overcast, and I know he was waiting for that integration, hoping that he could in- incorporate that in his application. He can't. But it's not just uh, podcasting apps, but there's also other um, applications out there that deal with audio, like some of the competing music services. And um, talking to Marco about it here, he said, you know, it's actually a lot harder than you think because Siri needs to not only understand your instruction to it, but Siri also needs to have an index of all the potential music or podcasts that it can play. So building that index is is quite difficult. And, and he feels that maybe the reason we don't see it yet is it's just a really hard problem and they haven't quite got it licked yet. Uh, but you also have to wonder, right? You know, there's Apple Music that does have Siri integration and there's the Apple Podcast app that does have Siri integration. And granted, Apple has control of the lists of music available and the podcasts available in their own apps. So that makes it easier. But I feel like, you know, at some point we need to see it for third party applications if they're going to do it for their own apps as well. Uh, and uh, again, I, I say any improvement is good improvement, but this is not what I was hoping for from Siri. And I, I just um, it, it wasn't the boost of confidence that I was hoping that we would get in Siri. Yeah, and Siri got better voices, and I think it's 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 a web service in a sense. I mean, it's a backend server problem. You know, how does Siri work better? How does it get better at hearing your words and appropriately interpreting them? And then how does it get better at taking the um, uh, correctly interpreted words and turning those into actions? And that's something that is constantly being updated. But um, but the, you know, there's this cloud over it. 
Uh, last night at the Gruber event, at some point, John asked, do you guys think you can compete with someone like Google, given the fact that you want to respect users' privacy and not build this huge database on users, but also make it a, a, a useful assistant? And it was a very interesting moment because at that point, because Craig Federighi is a really friendly guy, he's always smiling. And when that question was asked, he just got dead serious and just said, he looked him right in the eye and said, yes, we can do this. And I don't think everything has dropped on this. I think this is one of those things um, that they're working on tremendously difficult problem behind the scenes. And we see little signs of how they're trying to solve it. But I don't think everything has been, all the cards have not been turned over yet. Well, something I'm disappointed in. So let's move forward to something that I'm really excited about. And that is person to person Apple Pay. I I think this is very cool. Um, I'm interested to hear the details. If there are any more details, maybe there aren't. Um, But I want to know how does Apple Cash work? Uh, It seems like and and Mike Hurley talked about this a little bit on Connected this week, uh, because he has his history before he became a professional podcaster was in banking. And so there's an Apple cash card, which is kind of the temporary holding place for all of these payments that that you get. Um, And it appears to work with Apple Pay. So if you send money back out from Apple Pay, it will pull, you know, think of it kind of like, I hate to make it sound similar to PayPal, but you know, like when you pay for something with PayPal, you know, it pulls first from your PayPal balance. So I guess when you pay for something with Apple Pay, or if you pay for something that's connected with Apple Pay, like through the Apple Store or something, it will pull first from your Apple Cash balance. Um, before it then pulls from something else. And then if you want to then transfer the money to a bank account, then you can connect your bank account and do that. So those those things seem really interesting. Um, I'm, of course, curious about, you know, are, th- are there any fees? How does it work? Because, you know, David, you and I have to sometimes settle up and send money around back and forth. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just send me a check or I send you a check because we don't want to have to deal, you know, PayPal is convenient, but they take a cut and a not necessarily insignificant one, depending on how much money you're sending. Yeah. And this is an area of speculation. So we won't know more for another few weeks or maybe even a few months, but it looks like this is going to be a service where Apple doesn't take any cut. Um, I mean, they're going to, they get obviously uh, money holding. If you're keeping a balance, they're also going to obviously going to make an interest on that money that gets held. Um, They also uh, make money when you buy their devices. So the more you like the service that you don't have to pay a fee on, the more you're likely you are to buy more of their hardware later. So I think that's how it's all going to play out. Um, uh, Mike was speculating, I don't know if he did it on the connected yet. I haven't listened to that episode that, that possibly Apple will even pay bank fees to the extent there are any bank fees incurred. Uh, I, I knowing that, I mean, it seems like an Apple thing to do to say, look, you put money in there and when you send it to somebody, they get the money and there's no fees and we'll, don't worry about anything else. We'll take care of the rest. Um, so we'll see. But I hope that's the way it plays out as a, as a father. I think it's a great service, too, where I could put some money on my kids uh, phones that way uh, rather than giving them a credit card. I could just put some cash in there and, and they would have a balance to work from. I think that would be kind of nice. So I'm, I'm like you. I'm excited to see it. I think it's overdue. I think it's a great, it just makes a lot of sense with Apple having those devices in everybody's hands. Why can't we settle up even if you just go to lunch together um, that way? Now, one thing that was mentioned in the keynote, and I, I watched it twice, um, is they said that Apple Pay will be accepted at 50% of retailers next year. And that blew me away because now keep in mind, David, I don't live in the Valley. Um, I don't live in California, 
And I struggle to find places that accept Apple Pay. Um, it is the exception. It is the rare exception when I can find a place that accepts Apple Pay. Um, there's one grocery store in town, uh, Fresh Market, will accept Apple Pay, but it's not my everyday grocery store. The The idea that 50% of the places will accept Apple Pay, um, that seems like an astonishing figure to me. And I don't know what they know that I don't, but that just seemed out there. Yeah, I, and my eyebrows went up with that too. Although I would say that I bet your Apple Pay works in more places than you think. Anyone that has one of those terminals with the little, um, it looks like an almost like an uh, airport symbol. You know, it's got the little uh, radar signals coming off of it. Uh, usually, Apple Pay will work even when they don't think it will. Like my local Starbucks, they they every time I use my watch to pay, they're like, "Oh, we don't do that here," and then it works, and they're like, "Oh, I guess we do it here." So you'll be surprised, but, but I agree. 50% seems very optimistic to me, <laughs> maybe 50% of vendors. I, I don't even know how they get there because it seems to me like it's, it hasn't taken off the way that we would all like it to. Um, control center is finally on one screen again, although um, you, you can customize it. It looks like a few of the control center things are, are lost by default, but I'm glad to see it on one screen. Okay. So the, I can tell you're running the beta uh, control center is a significant improvement. I mean, it's 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 much better having it all on one screen. I'm guessing there's a lot of users out there that never realized it had more than one screen. You know, I mean, there's some people that wouldn't think to swipe, but but our listeners would. Uh, the other thing, the customization is really clever. Like on the iPad, I've got let me see here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I've got twelve different potential widgets that I can put on the control center. I mean, like the timer, the camera, uh, text size. There's an Apple TV remote where you can put on the, and you just tap it, and it brings up a full size Apple TV remote on your screen. Um, accessibility shortcuts, mag the magnifier where you can use your camera to magnify text if you can't see it. Um, there's there's just a lot, and you can select or deselect whichever one of these you want. Um, one of the widgets on the iPad, I haven't I haven't seen the beta on the phone to know if it's there as well. The screen recording, you press a button and it just starts taking video of your screen. And so you can go work in apps and do all this other stuff. Then you, you press the button again and it stops the recording and saves it to your photos um, library. Uh, I haven't tested the resolution of that video. It doesn't do any audio, but I mean, there's some real nice features to Control Center, and it does have a certain degree of user custom, uh, customization that we've never had before. And it seems to me like it's a natural to allow third-party apps into this maybe next year, because the way the whole system's built, you could add another app. To, you could have a list of these just like you have them in Notification Center. Now, one thing I want you to talk a little bit about, if you can, is the redesigned lock screen. Uh, that I'm not sure was demoed real well, and I'm we're redesigning the lock screen again. I mean that it seems like that gets a little more confusing every year. Um, yeah, it seems like they're trying to solve a problem. I don't really have a whole lot to say on it because I haven't used it enough. But the um, the issue of lost notifications, you know, sometimes you see a notification on your lock screen and you don't really catch it, and then your phone unlocks and you're like, what was that again? And they're making a way for you after you unlock to drag down again to see that. And I haven't fully figured it out yet, to tell you the truth. So I, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I, I think I understand the problem they're trying to solve, but I haven't figured out if the solution is a good one or not. One feature that I'm really excited about, but I'm also a little pessimistic as to whether people will actually use it, is D&D &D while driving. Um, I think that this 
is something that probably should have come out years ago. Um, I don't know if it was a technology barrier or if it was just not a high priority list. But um, do not disturb while driving. Uh, Distract driving is a huge issue. And I will tell you that a large percentage of the time when I see somebody doing something foolish on the roadways, they've got their phone in their hand and they're fiddling with something or they're doing, they're clearly browsing something or reading something. Um, And I have no question that having, you know, smartphones in our cars and in our pocket has contributed tremendously to accidents. And while I try to be very cautious with mine and not use it while I'm actually driving, you know, we, we all do foolish things from time to time. I intend to activate this on my phone. Um, I hope that other people will as well. And I would, I would challenge our Mac power users audience to activate it on their phone and their family members' phones. But I'm a little skeptical because I suspect many people will never activate it or they'll deactivate it once they find out it's a pain. Yeah. So just to summarize this, this is a a system where if you are driving, it won't display messages and notifications on your screen. And if someone texts you, it'll actually text back to them and say, Katie's driving right now and she can't talk to you, but she'll she'll call you when she gets wherever she's going. You know, something to that extent. Well, and it gives people the ability to break through if it's an urgent message that they that they need to get to you. I can tell you this almost became a one woman podcast today because on the way to the Airbnb, I very nearly got ran over. I mean, it's it was had a brush with death today, Katie. I I was crossing the street and there was a stop sign across the street. There was a car coming, but I knew they had a stop sign, so I crossed and they just blew right through and I jumped. Um and I'm not sure they saw me till very last minute and I looked and they were they had the phone out, you know. And so, so it was a, it was a close call today. I think this is a great service and I think everybody should turn it on. I wish it almost came as a default turned on. Yeah, it is. It is opt-in. It's opt-in. And I hope it's in the parental controls. Now I know probably most parents of 16 and 17 year olds probably don't have parental controls turned on by that time, but uh, man, this would be a great feature for your 16, 17 year old. I, uh, anyway, I think that's a, it's a nice update and that's something that hopefully gets huge um, acceptance. And and hopefully, I don't know to what extent the other vendors have followed suit or are doing something similar, but I'd like to see this just throughout the industry. If you look at statistics, um, vehicle-related accidents and collisions and deaths, all those numbers are up for the first time in a long time. And, and there's a really clear answer why. Right. Um, I think Apple listened to our map show because a lot of the things that we criticized them on with Apple Maps has been... Yes. Fixed. So thank you to the people on the Apple Maps team who are Mac Power users listeners. We appreciate that. You know, there are a lot of Apple people that listen to this show. I, I've had several of them walk up to me during the week this week to talk about how much they love the show and what they tell me a little bit. I mean, they can't say exactly what they're working on. Everything's a little secret, but but it, it, we do have a lot of Apple folks listening. So maybe we did have a little impact. I'd like to think. But re- realistically, I bet that was in, in work a long time before we talked about it. But but so just to answer the question, they have the lanes. Like one of the biggest features I liked about Google Maps is the lane uh, prediction. Like if you're on a freeway, it tells you which lanes are going to go right and which lanes are going to left at your next major change. There was a lot of emphasis on photos, particularly on live photos. Now, I guess my question is, do people really use live photos? I immediately turn the live photo feature off. And if I ever take a photo that's a live photo, it's it's an accident. But I guess people love live photos. 
I've, you know what I've, uh, my, uh, my nephews and nieces are all starting to have babies. So I've got, I'm a great uncle with some of these kids and I'm on the shared feeds with them. And I get a lot of, I get a big kick out of the live photos now because all of the parents and grandparents are shooting live photos and just seeing those, those little one-year-olds, you know, bounce around with just a little bit of activity is pretty awesome. So I, I think life photos are probably getting used more than you think. Now, are people taking life photos because they don't know any better? Or are they taking life photos intentionally? Because like my brother was taking a photo of a document and sending it to me. And it was a life photo. And of course, we got all of the, the shake of the camera as he was taking the photo. And I was like, great. Well, the answer to your question is both. I mean, some people don't know better. Uh, my family, they know the difference and, and they do it on purpose and for good reason. So it depends on your subject. If you've got a dog you love, you've got kids around, you can use live photos, but not everybody needs them. But they did more than that with photos. I mean, they just, they, they uh, are trying to make some updates. It, uh, there's some other problems they really haven't solved. They still haven't solved the problem of photo sharing and library sharing, but but they did try to improve like photo editing and some of the other features related to that. Uh, the messages now all sync with iCloud, which is good. I have had for the, I would say maybe 85% of the time, my messages are in sync and show up on all my devices. But then there's that weird 15% of the time that they don't. So I don't know why it works sometimes and why it doesn't work other times. But I, I guess the fact that they're fixing it now is good. You know, Federighi talked about this later, and he said this was actually a more difficult problem to solve than it sounds like, because the challenge Apple had is said, we want to sync your devices. So when you switch from uh, your phone to your iPad, all of the same text messages show up on each device, but we wanted to do it in a way that we would never see your messages. Like if they took encryption out of the process, it would be a simple thing to just say, okay, copy the messages over, but they had to find a way to successfully encrypt it so they can't see them, then send the, the, the encrypted file to your other device and your other device have the necessary keys and, and unencryption technologies to unencrypt and rebuild that stuff on your device and to do that reliably and in sync across multiple devices. Um, that's not easy. And I think they, they feel like they finally got it. Like another thing Federighi said that just kind of gave me some some respect for how hard it is to to do the things they do is, you know, the problem with, you know, saying the trigger word for Siri. Uh, if you own an iPad, an iPhone, and, and you're in a watch, there's a good chance that you're going to trigger, like, all these devices at once when you say the magic phrase. Uh, well, they're trying to fix that now, and the way they do that is... Uh, when you say the magic phrase, there's immediately a conversation between your watch, your iPad, and your phone. And the three of them say uh, they have ways to calculate how far away they are from you. So they say who's closest. And then they also say, has the user used any one of you in the last X seconds or minutes? So they try to predict which device it is you're using, which isn't necessarily easy. They decide, and then that's the one that responds. And all this happens in a fraction of a second. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into trying to make this stuff convenient. Um, let's see. Machine learning was the catchphrase. Yeah. As, as, as last year, well, as well. Right. I, uh, I joke that that should be a drinking game. Machine learning. Drink. I think it should be. Um, the new app store. I, I, I don't have much to say about the redesign. Uh, 
I, I'm curious to see it on on Mac. I, I guess I was a little surprised that that Phil Schiller came out and said to developers, "We we've heard your needs, and and here's what we've decided to do." And I'm like, "Great! Are we are we going to get trials? Are we going to get upgrades? Or are we going to get less restrictions on sandboxing?" I, I mean, he the the build up to this was like, "We've listened to your feedback, and we've we know all about all the problems in the App Store." And we've decided to do something we've never, ever done before. We're going to redesign it. I'm like, are you kidding me? You think of all of the issues with the App Store, you're just going to redesign it and that's going to fix everything. Well, okay. I would give you a little, I'd give, I'd be a little more generous with Apple on that. The, um, the redesign is significant. I, I've got it on my iPad and it's better. Uh, but talking to developers around uh, San Jose, they are all actually the ones that are looking the beta are all really quite happy with the redesign. They feel like it does a better job of answering the question of discoverability. That's the big thing for them is I want someone to discover my app and they feel like this makes it better. One of the big problems before was all the tables were, you know, the top grossing apps were always games. And because people spend a lot of money on games. And if you make a really cool productivity app, there's no way you're ever going to crack the top 10, no matter what. And one of the big things they did is they have two tabs in the app store. One is games and one is apps. Uh, so if you want to look at games, Notice you get the games, games comes first. Well, I, I don't remember. I just, that's, I just said that I think that games come first, but I'm not even certain that's true. Um, well, that's where all the money's being made. So it should come first. I mean, I'm not going to, that doesn't, I don't find fault with that, but if you make apps, if you make non games, there's a whole different landing page for you where people can see that stuff. And so all the people who make non-games are really pretty stoked about what's happening. And they, um, and there's a lot of other things, like another big change they made, like developers had this thing where when you submitted an update to your app, it reset the ratings. And if you have like a 4.7 rating on your apps, uh, Schiller talked about this last night at the Gruber thing, um, and you you hold back an update, a bug fix, because you wouldn't want to lose your rating. So now they've done it in a way that that developers don't lose their existing ratings when they s submit an update. So um, there actually is a lot of work going on. And overall, since Phil Schiller took over the App Store uh, about a year ago, there have been a lot of nice improvements for developers. And I think the general feel around San Jose this week is, hey, hey they are making progress and it is getting better for us. So... Uh, that there is a little bit of good news. I understand what you're saying, but and I don't think, frankly, trials are ever coming. But but they are trying to make things better for developers. I feel like I'm apologizing a lot in this show for Apple, but I mean, just being here, I'm telling you what I'm seeing. I want to take a break and talk about our next sponsor, and that is Fujitsu and their ScanSnap line of products. You know, the ScanSnap is, in my opinion, the best desktop document scanner that you can get. And there are two pieces that, that work seamlessly together. It is the ScanSnap software, and it is the ScanSnap hardware, and they give you a cohesive experience. So the ScanSnap software is just amazing. Um, you really want to take a few minutes and dig in there, because in the ScanSnap software, you can set up profiles for scans, whether you want it to scan individual pages, whether you want it to scan batches of documents, uh, or pretty much you can configure it any way you want, whether you want it to scan to email, scan to a specific file, scan to a specific application. Um, the ScanSnap software can be configured to scan multiple documents at the same time. It can scan oversized documents and automatically stitch them together. It will automatically OCR your documents. It can scan to multiple cloud services like Dropbox, Evernote, Google Docs. 
Uh, it can, and it has software to organize your business cards and receipts. And then there's also the ScanSnap Cloud. So you can scan directly from your iX500 or your iX100 to the ScanSnap Cloud or scan through the app using the smartphone camera. And the ScanSnap Cloud will intelligently sort scans by document type. It applies OCR and smart naming to documents and receipts and business cards. And then it automatically de- delivers your scans to your favorite cloud service. Uh, so it's like, think of it like Hazel in the cloud, automatically sorting and filtering your scans without ever having to have a computer involved if you don't want to. Um, I've got the iX500. It is my favorite desktop scanner. I've got one at the office, one at home. It is a full duplex scanner with a 50-sheet feeder. It connects either wide wirelessly or via USB 3.0. It can scan up to 25 pages per minute or directly to mobile devices, bypassing your computer completely. It has this amazing paper feeding system, so you're very rarely going to get any jams or misfeeds. And you can integrate it with the amazing Fujitsu software so you can decide exactly how you want to quickly scan documents, whether you want to scan them to the cloud, whether you want to scan them to an individual app and configure it to your heart's content. So you can learn more about the entire ScanSnap line of products by heading over to budurl.me slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. Uh, Be sure to check out the ScanSnap line of products. And if you decide to buy them from anywhere else, be sure, please, that you make sure to let Fujitsu know. You can send them a tweet, drop them an email, whatever you want to do, that you heard about the ScanSnap on Mac Power users. It really does help uh, let them know that you came from our show. And we so appreciate their longtime support of the podcast. So we got some updates to iOS 11 for iPad that we haven't talked about yet. Yes. um, So I have a confession about the iPad. Um, It is possible that I might have ordered one. You don't have to shy uh, shy away from this, Katie. It's okay. Yes, I know. But I'm always the one who is giving you grief about buying these unnecessary things. And I'm feeling a little bit guilty about it myself. So I need you to tell me why it is okay for me to buy a 10.5-inch iPad when I have a perfectly good 9.7-inch iPad Pro. Because there is there is still time to cancel my order. And I'm, I'm justifying it because my order isn't a real order until this weekend, um, and I can still cancel it. I'm just holding my place in line. So, David Sparks, why do I need a 10.5-inch iPad Pro? Well, I'll just say that I ordered one and I don't feel guilty at all about it. So I'm feeling a little guilt. <laughs> the, um, uh, I have, um, I have to be careful what I say here. Let's say hypothetically, I've seen one this week and hypothetically, um, one of the things they talked about, well, actually one of the things they talked about in the, the keynote is the screen refresh rate on this new iPad is 120 Hertz. I believe is the, the measure you use for it. Uh, whereas usually they're 60. Um, so it's twice, it's drawing the screen twice as many times uh, as it normally does. And it has a, a huge impact on just this, the way it looks snappy and like scrolling, like scrolling in Safari is like nothing I've ever seen before, hypothetically. Um, so uh, the new one is very fast um, in terms of size. It's, and you can see this on the website. It's slightly taller, I think just a little bit wider than the existing 9.7. So uh, it, it feels, when you pick it up hypothetically, um, the same weight as as one that, um, as the old 9.7. So it really is no different, and it's got something like 20% more screen real estate. So Now, that was something that I was concerned about. Let's, let's pause there for a minute. As you know, I have been an iPad mini lover forever. 
and I was very hesitant and upgraded from my beloved uh, iPad mini to the 9.7 inch iPad pro. And although there were trade-offs and I miss my mini every day, I accepted the trade-offs because the, the 12 inch monstrosity was way too big for me, but the 9.7 was okay. And the benefits that I got from things like the smart keyboard and split screen being functional and all those types of things were worth it to me to upgrade the 9.7. But I really, you know, all things being considered, I don't want a bigger iPad. So from a a feel and a standpoint, does the 10, hypothetically, of course, does the 10.5 inch iPad feel much bigger than the 9.7? I honestly, if they were turned off and I picked up one of each, I'm not sure I'd be able to tell the difference unless I compared them. I mean, it's it's the same weight and it's it's basically the same size. Okay, of course, not exactly the same size. There are minor differences, but yeah, it's a little wider, which is kind of nice because the on-screen keyboard uh, allows the keys to be a little bigger on the on-screen keyboard, which allows makes typing a little easier. Yeah. Now the, it is got 20% larger screen real estate, as Apple says. Now, does that tw- since it's not physically that much larger, but it's got smaller bezels, does that 20% larger screen real estate, as, as far as you can tell from the limited time, hypothetically, that you may or may not have seen one, actually uh, be a significant difference? Yeah, and this is something that doesn't require secret knowledge. They um they've explained that it's it's a different pixel layout. I mean, one of the theories coming into this was that the ten point five inch iPad um was going to be well. Let me back up. The if you look at the number of pixels on the 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 twelve point nine inch the large iPad, it basically equates to two regular size iPads size by side by side. Um, and there was a lot of theory that the 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 10.5 was going to be like two iPad mini side by side, which would require a higher compression of pixels than they've actually done. Um, so it's just like the iPad. Um, so, so the, to answer your question, it's slightly more pixels than, well, it's 20% more pixels than the 9.7, but a lot less than the, on the 12.9. They didn't take the same number of pixels in 12.9 and just scrunch them down to 10.5 inches. And to me, that's, I think, the right decision, because I don't want the pixels so small that the text is hard to read. You know, suddenly things get start getting really small. Uh, but it, it is a difference. It's, it's more pixels. But to, to me, I think the big, it, when these things come out, by the time, actually, this show is coming out very shortly, but uh, within a week of the show being out, you'll be able to go in the store and play with one. And to me, the big story is probably going to be the scrolling speed and the, the way it draws so quickly on the screen. It just, it really feels so responsive. That's, to me, the, the significant difference between the 9.7 and the 10.5. Now you're getting the 10.5. Um, my guess is you'll you'll hand down your your 9.7. Yeah, or I'll sell it. Use something. My kids actually really like the minis, and uh, and they've used those, so I'll I'll do something with it. Um, this would be a good time to point out that our sponsor Gazelle is available. Yeah, yeah but, probably will. Um, yeah. We um, do you think? And I I know it's probably early to tell that the 10.5 will negate your need for the multi iPad lifestyle. I don't think so, um, but I'm not like buying two. I'm not going to buy. It. Not only did we get the 10.5, the 12. Everybody, got, please note the date and time that David said that. No, I really, I, I'm very happy with the 12.9. I don't need a. It's just like I, my iMac still has gas in a tank, so does my big iPad. Um, my big iPad, 
I find is super useful when I review contracts as a lawyer and when I play music as a musician. Because the sheet music on a 12.9 screen is a lot easier to read than even on a 10.5 screen. I haven't put it on a 10.5 screen, but I'm assuming it's going to be like on the 9.7, which is a little harder to read with someone approaching 50 years old. 12.9, it looks great. So like there are things I do on the 12.9 that I don't want to give up. Like even if I found that the 10.5 was the end all be all for me and the thing I used the most, I think I'd still keep the old one around just for a few special tasks. But if that's the case, I would probably just keep it around for years and just keep, I don't need to update it. What's giving me trouble justifying upgrading from the 9.7 to the 10.5 is um, it, it is 20% more screen real estate, but I really just use a fraction of the power of the 9.7 inch. And um, while I'm sure the 10.5 inch will be faster and better in all those other ways, I'm not sure it will be that noticeable to me. And for me, the biggest gain, and we're going to talk about these in a minute, are all the software-related features that we're getting in iOS 11. And the beauty is my 9.7 inch iPad is going to get those too. Yeah. I mean, there's no, I think I'm an edge case, honestly, upgrading from 9.7 to 10.5. I have a year old iPad Pro. There's no reason to to upgrade, Uh, but I want to, and I'm going to do it. So there it is. And and we'll see if I do. Yeah. But the, uh, I mean, all of this stuff will be on the 9.7. I don't think you're going to get the buttery smooth animation and the speed that you get with the the 10.5. May not scroll like butter. It, it, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll figure that out too. But the, uh, but and you won't have quite as many pixels on the screen. But you know, it's it's a great. The nine point seven is still a great iPad. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not telling everybody to go out and buy one. But but if you have a nine point seven and you want to upgrade it, you know, don't feel bad about it. Just do it. I mean. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, the the other expense, though, is, as you know, when you upgrade an iPad, it's it's not just the difference of selling the iPad and upgrading the new hardware. It's now a, a new, it's now a new smart keyboard. The... It's now a new case. It's now all of these other things that, you know, add several hundred dollars to the price tag. So, yeah. And, and I've been told that the, the keyboard actually, you know, because it's a little wider, it's a little more comfy. You know, so, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, I think I think this is what they've been aiming for. And they just had to get to a point where they could could make it work. But but it's remarkable how close it is in size to the 9.7. So they were able to keep largely the size and give you a lot more pixels. Right. Um, so let's talk about software. iOS 11 introduced a lot of software features for the iPad. Um, one of the big questions that we're getting from people, and I'm not sure if you're in a position to answer this, but how much of this is going to work on the standard iPad, the non-pro iPad? I would imagine most of it, correct? I would imagine most almost none of it would i mean i don't know but i mean this this it's very processor intensive to be running multiple applications i i don't think it works multitasking doesn't work i think it's just the ipad air 2 that can do multitasking and i think it's going to get even harder with the way it's this new system is even more complex it's going to use more ram and um i think this is really an ipad pro thing but but we're recording this just a few days afterwards, and maybe we'll get more information on it. Yeah, well, just, I mean, just so you know that on the standard iPad page um, on Apple.com where they're showing, you know, they're just the regular iPad, you know, they they are showing slide out. Um, I, I don't know if I actually see where they're showing multitasking, but, um, you know, it, it looks like it supports a lot of the, the standard um, current iOS 10 features. I mean, it definitely it definitely supports slide out. I don't know whether it supports multitasking or not. 
Yeah, I hope I hope you're right, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it's it's going to get like the Finder. Or, I'm sorry, that's not what it's called. They should have just called it the Finder app. But it's going to get the Files app, which is a great idea. You know, honestly, we've tried all these various schemes to avoid having a, a Files app or a Finder on iPad, and ultimately, um, you know, just the idea. We'll just think about this for a minute. Um, uh, you've got uh, Apple. You've got Apple Mail on one side, or your email weapon of choice, and you get five attachments to an email that you want to save and you open up the files app on the right side of the screen and drill to your Dropbox or, or iCloud or wherever your cloud storage of choices. And you just drag them from one side of the screen to the other, and then they're saved. I mean, that I mean, it's so basic. And I know people say, well, we've had this on the Mac forever, but you know what, in order to accomplish this on the iPad in a way that made sense for the iPad took a while. And now we have it and it's a beautiful thing or, or just the opposite direction. If I want to send you an email with 10 attachments, I go to the appropriate folder. I select the 10 attachments and you can select multiple attachments with the system. You don't have to drag it 10 times and you just drag it over and it's in there. So basic, but it makes me so happy. Um, and then we're, if you if, actually, if you go on the 9.7, and at some point soon, the 9.7 will just be the word for the, the standard iPad. You know, they, they aren't showing multitasking, but they are showing things like the dock and, and um, what, what are they calling like expose on the iPad? Are you, are you talking about 9.7 Air or the 9.7 Pro? No, the 9.7 regular. There's no 9.7 Air anymore. Just the regular 9.7 inch iPad. Yeah, that's the 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 the, disc, the one that's like three hundred and, and change. Right, right. The inexpensive one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, they've added spaces to the iPad, and spaces to me makes a lot more sense on iPad than it did even on Mac. So, if you have groupings of apps, like if you like to have Apple Notes next to Apple Mail, or if you like to have OmniFocus next to, um, you know, Safari or whatever, it, so you've got these apps groupings on your iPad, uh, you swipe up from the bottom of the screen and it opens a spaces view like you see on the Mac. I mean, a lot of this stuff does look like kind of paradigms you've seen on the Mac and you've those, those spaces are kept together. So you can jump between the various spaces without having to rebuild them like you had to with iOS 10. Nice stuff. I mean, it, it's all clever there. I have some issues with it and we'll talk when we get close to release and I've spent more time with it. I mean, honestly, beta one, who knows what's going to change. But uh, for now, I can tell you one of the things they, they have is a dock that can hold a lot of apps. And it makes it makes a lot of sense to put many apps down in the dock on the system, because when you're working on one side of the screen, you can just drag your most common apps right up into the workspace without having to stop and think about it or search for an app. So it's, it's pretty clever. But I feel like it's so early. And the dock can really be thought of more as like a shelf, correct? Yeah. I mean, it really feels like the dock on a Mac because you've got all these apps here that you like. And then it's even got apps of Siri app suggestions. Um, and But it's early days and this stuff may change. But I think in general, the paradigm makes sense. I like the new QuickType keyboard. Interestingly enough, it is not on the 12.9 inch iPad. I guess that's because the 12.9 has a special keyboard. Yeah, well, it has a numbers row already and you can get to the symbols with the shift. key. It's, it's 12.9 really doesn't need it. Right. Um, but I like that to keep keep having to switch back and forth. Um, we're seeing better Apple Pencil support everywhere, but yet not a different Apple Pencil. Almost made me want to try the Apple Pencil again. 
Uh, I think you will when this comes out. I mean, it's, it's quite useful. And you can fully use the Apple Pencil to manipulate the operating system as well. You can still push buttons and tap switches with the Apple Pencil. Um, everything is, is pretty modal where you can get into pencil mode and out of it. I thought about you, though, because I remember you telling me uh, about Apple Notes, how Apple's going to, you know, they did the big update and then that's it. We'll never hear about it again and everybody else will move on. And guess what happened, Katie? It just got a few little things, nothing major. It got a lot of things. It, yeah. it is. It got a lot of support for the pencil. Um, the the drag and drop support is great. I mean, Apple Apple Notes continues to evolve. Kind of reminded me of Ever Evernote, um, and and it kind of reminded me of that way. It's because it's like they kind of are throwing everything in there now. It's kind of well, we don't know where to put this. Let's put it in Apple and let's put it in Notes. Yeah, I heard on Twitter from several listeners that said, oh, I don't know about Evernote now. Apple Notes keeps getting better. So anyway, I, I just thought I'd rub that in a little bit, that they evolved it some. All right, we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence about whether or not, I figure I've got through the weekend to decide whether or not to cancel my order because it will probably prepare for shipment on Sunday or so. And um, If you're going to feel guilty about spending money on it, then don't buy it. I mean, it, it's. I guess that's the, the bottom line. But... But it is a nice improvement. And if you don't have a 9.7, if you've been waiting to get a new iPad Pro, I think this is a great time to get in. I think it's a, a fantastic device. And um, I guess we'll see. But it, it, it's, you know, it's, it is, um, I think it's probably more evolutionary than revolutionary. I, I think you're, if you had a 9.7, it's, I don't know. It's too early to say, honestly. I've only, I've only hypothetically spent a little time around them. I think you have to, you know, the folks that actually review them will have much better advice than I do. But but I, I'm excited about it, and I ordered one. So there you go. All right. Are we ready to talk about the HomePod? Yeah. Um, I'm a little disappointed, um, but I think there's still a lot more to come. So I think there's still potential in this device. To me, this was a much more music-featured and a much less AI-featured announcement. And that surprised me a little bit. But maybe it shouldn't have because Apple has always been a very music-featured uh, company. I get the impression that this is a device that they've been working on for a while, that they wanted to have a really cool speaker. And then as as Amazon and Google got into this home, you know, voice in a can thing that they realized that they need to do that too. I mean, even if you look at the way they announced it, they spent a lot of time talking about how the tweeters are aimed and how it can fill a room with music and how it spends all this time, you know, computing the best sound for your room. And then at the end they put up a slide and say, Oh, and also it's going to do a bunch of Siri stuff. <laughs> you know, it was like, and they didn't demonstrate any of it. I, I think they, uh, they just wanted to put their claim in that they're going to do this, but it feels to me like the, the big focus of this is making a music speaker for Apple music. And then then now they're, they're still figuring out a bit what they're going to do with Siri, or at least that's as much as they're willing to tell us now. Yeah, I thought this was somewhat eerily similar to the um, Apple hype, or excuse me, the iPod Hi-Fi special event. Do you remember watching that back in 2006? Yeah, well, not really. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's different. The, uh, I mean, the, the Hi-Fi was a speaker and that was all it was. It, it was a nice speaker, but it was a dumb speaker. You stuck audio into it and it played audio. Um, this is a computer. I mean, it's got an A8 chip in it. It's not like the watch that it's going to need a, a, a iPhone around to work. It's, it's going to be independent 
and have an independent internet connection and and work independently of your devices. So um, this is much more computer than that was. Well, it's also 10 years later, 11 years later um, than it was. But um, I just think a lot of the words that they were, I mean, the way that they were so focused on sound and how it's going to fill your room with sound and how we've tweaked this just the same way. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, Steve Jobs' introduction of the, the iPod Hi-Fi. I, I, I think it's eerie how similar it is. But but we'll see. They they spent almost no time talking about, you know, they, they called Alexa out on stage, but they... Um, then they continued to talk all about the music features. This this really, to me, is a direct competitor with Sonos, but yet it also falls short of that in so many ways. And I, I say that as someone who's never owned a Sonos, so I'll be curious for your take on that. Um, and, and then we got one slide with, oh, yeah, and it does some Siri stuff, too, but not all the Siri stuff. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like they're putting it out there that they're making this. And I expect we'll have another event sometime where we'll get a much more full fleshed out version of what the, what their vision is for this thing. But, um, the, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a fancy speaker with a computer in it. So Apple's a company that makes software. And if you give them some time, it'll be curious to see what they do with this. As someone who uses a lot of iCloud services, um, there's a certain advantage of this to something like this for me, because like I get iCloud access on this that I don't necessarily get with some of the other devices, Um, Although I do understand that they're starting to add some of that with some of the competing services as well. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the price. Um, You know, $350, the price did not surprise me. But I think it's interesting because this is is far above the price of the Amazon Echo and the Google Home. I think they're really competing more with the Sonos line of products. But, you know, a Sonos Play 1, which is probably fairly comparable to this, in in terms of of sound and of quality is one ninety nine, and you know kind of like you you the, the Sonos's are on sale right now. You need a pair of them to do stereo, and you know Sonos has multiple lines of products. You can get a Play One, Play Two, Play Three, a sound bar for for different needs. You know this is a three hundred and fifty dollar single speaker that. To really get the full experience, you're probably going to want two of them in your living room and then maybe one of them in the bedroom and then maybe one of them in the office. That's going to get real expensive real fast. I mean, you know how much money you've spent on Sonos systems after you got, you know, started there. It's going to be really expensive to deck your your house out with HomePods. Yeah, I, I think a, a fairer comparison of it is the Sonos Play 3. Um, the uh, In fact, there's a bunch of articles been written. Jason Snell wrote one of them where Apple... Uh, allowed him to listen to a comparison between the Play 3 and the new one, the Apple um, HomePod. And he thought it was generally better than the Play 3. So I think that's the more appropriate comparison. The Play 1 is is Sonos is very, it's the smallest speaker they make. And this thing is a, has a lot more beef in it than that does. But uh, you're right. It's an expensive doodad in your house. And if you want to get a bunch of them, you're going to spend a lot of money by the time you're done. Um I don't know. I just feel like the story's not done here. Part of me feels like this was a placeholder because all these other companies are coming out with similar products and Apple doesn't have one yet. And maybe there's somebody out there that really would like this type of product from Apple, but is going to buy something else because they didn't realize Apple doesn't have one. So now they've said, okay, we're going to have one by the end of the year. Here's basically what it looks like and and a a basic uh, list of the features it has. If you're interested, you might want to wait for this. 
And they've even told you the price. I was actually shocked they shared the price six months in advance. Well, it is it is still early days. It's not shipping until December, which if it's anything like the AirPods were, that means you won't actually be able to get one until sometime in the spring. I think just now the AirPods are really um, widely available. So we'll we'll see if there's more. I'm kind of surprised they announced this so early. There's there's no developer integration. To me, there's no reason to announce this so early other than to try to get people to hold off buying other ladies in a can and just wait for the Apple thing. If you look, though, I mean, historically, Apple will announce products very early if they're not already in the space. They did that with the watch. They did that with the phone and they did it with the speaker. So we'll we'll see. Um, I, I'm not sure it's for me at 350 because, you know, as we talked about at length in the music show, I'm not a huge music person. And for me, listening to music on my Amazon Echo speakers, which I know is probably horrifies you, is not bad. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's for me either, but I, I'll wait to see when it comes out and and what what they do with Siri in it. I'm I'm curious about that. Um, so I, I'm not ruling it out for the record, but but I'm also not getting rid of my Sonos. I love the Sonos system we have in the house; it works great. Uh, one of the things they announced is that HomeKit will now use speakers as a destination, and they gave a list of different speakers. Sonos was not listed among them. Seems like shocking. There's a little thing going on now between Apple and Sonos. I guess Sonos is kind of teaming up with Amazon, so that would make sense. But yeah, you're going to see Alexa and Sonos before this thing ships, is my prediction. Oh yeah, I think it's already in the works. I think it's already been made public that they're working on that. Uh, but the um, at the same time, they did say that uh, anything attached to your Apple TV can be a HomeKit enabled speaker. Well, guess what's attached to my Apple TV? My Sonos system. So I may be just fine with what I have. Um, the uh, so I am curious to see how this all plays out. I I, I don't. I'm not poo pooing the speaker. I think it's probably going to be a fine product. It's not going to be an iPhone level success, but um, I'm also, I also just feel like we don't know the whole story yet. All we know really is they're going to make a very nice speaker and it's going to have some Siri integration, but it's not clear how much yet. And it's going to not be the cheapest product on the market. And none of those three statements should surprise you for something coming from Apple. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the keynote. There were a few announcements and there'll be I'm sure more things coming out after the show is released. Um, but a couple of specific things I wanted to mention that were not mentioned in the keynote. Um, one is we finally, finally, finally um, got an Apple Magic Keyboard with a numeric trackpad, which, as you know, I have been pining for for years. Interestingly enough, it did not have a touch bar. In fact, I don't believe the word touch bar was said at WWDC. It was not. I don't think either. I, I don't know why you want one of those keyboards. So it makes me, I mean, the thought of having to move my hand that far to get to the trackpad, I just don't like it. I don't know. I like numbers. We'll see. Um, your family sharing, it can now share your iCloud storage space, David. So I don't know if that will, will save you some money. I don't know that they've announced pricing. It's a weird thing being at, at WWDC, your suits. Yeah, the, the one terabyte plan is gone. You now get the two terabyte plan for the same price as the one terabyte plan, and you can share the two terabyte plan. Okay, that's because I didn't know. Yep. I knew they had dropped the price, but I didn't know you could share it. Well, that's good because I'm paying for the the one terabyte plan for three of my four family members because everybody keeps using lots of photos, and it was driving me up over the minimum. Well, hopefully, two terabytes will work for y'all. Oh, it will. It will. I mean, okay, so that's good news. Um, and I'm sure there are other little things, but those were the big ones that I could think of. Uh, lots of people, I, I think the general vibe here is that Apple, you know, they delivered the goods this year. 
It's a nice improvement. A lot of the stuff, the iPad got the, the love and attention it needed. I think a lot of people are relieved to see them announcing updates to hardware because it seems like that's been a problem for them in years past. I mean, the fact that we had a new MacBook Pro, what was it, eight or nine months ago, and now it's already had a, a chip uh, bump where it's got an improvement. I think that makes people feel good that they're back on the train of giving their hardware uh, routine updates. I think people are excited about the fact that the iMac Pro exists. I mean, that is a heck of a computer, whether or not it's right for you. And um, I, I just feel like people this year at WWDC are more positive than I'd seen in the past. I agree. I agree. Well, David, we have already gone long. So any final thoughts or are we about wrapping it up here? I just wish you were here, Katie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I wish I was there too. So maybe next year, always next year. Um, thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's going to be MindNode, Fracture, Omni Group, and Fujitsu. And a reminder to you all that we are probably going to release the show a little early and off schedule. Um, so if we release the show at the end of the week, keep in mind that you might not have a show uh, for more than a week or so. But that's because you got a little bonus earlier than normal. So uh, thanks for hanging in there. And um, we will see you all next time.